Well, church, uh, two weeks ago at Easter, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection from the grave, which was an event unlike any other event in the history of the world, making Jesus a man unlike any other man in the history of the world. And because of the uniqueness of this event, and hence the uniqueness of this man, we believe that he is worthy of our contemplation and of our consideration. And so throughout the season of Easter, we are asking the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this one that even death and the grave could not hold down? And to answer that question, we're going to seek to better understand who Jesus is by considering what Jesus has told us about himself. In the Gospel of John, on seven different occasions... Jesus makes identity-level declarations, describing who he is and what he is all about. And our hope and prayer through this season and through these I am statements is that after we consider these seven things that Jesus proclaims that he is, we will come to a point where we acknowledge not just that he is worthy of our contemplation and our consideration but of our worship and the devotion of our very lives as well. Last week, we considered what Jesus meant when he proclaimed, I am the bread of life. And how Jesus himself, his life, death and his resurrection, his very body and blood is the sustenance that gives and sustains everlasting life. Today we're looking at the second of Jesus' I am statements when he declared that I am the light of the world. As we consider the statement together, I want to make two incredibly simple but infinitely profound points about what this means. One is theological and one is practical, but both should compel us to live our lives in the light of Christ. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapters 8 and chapters 9 as we consider together what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. This second identity statement is made by Jesus on two separate occasions. The first is found in John chapter 8 verse 12 where Jesus is debating with the Pharisees when he declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the second time Jesus makes this claim is in John chapter 9, verse 5, where he and his disciples are engaging in a conversation regarding a blind man. And Jesus proclaims, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so we're going to briefly consider both of these statements, the first for its theological implications, the second for its practical application. First, the theological implications of this statement. What Jesus says here, when he declares himself to be the light of the world, could not be more simple or more profound all at the same time. His point is simply this. That he is the light of the world. Now note that when Jesus 
makes this proclamation, he does not say, I am a light of the world. Indicating that he is one among many lights in this world. All being valid sources by which one could find illumination for their lives. No, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Meaning he is the only light for this world. And that may sound like a bold and exclusive claim, which it is. But this is what the word of God from the very beginning to the very end and all throughout the middle repeatedly declares. I mean, think about the account of creation from Genesis chapter one. In the first two verses of the Bible, which describes God's creation of everything, the scriptures tell us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. In the beginning, our world was in total darkness. There was no light at all. And then in verse three, the word of God illuminated the creation when God said, let there be light and there was light. So before the word of God came to bear on creation, there was no light. And after the word of God was spoken into creation, there was light. Now, theologians have debated for millennia what this actually means. Because later in the creation account, the Lord created other lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, which were intended to give light to the earth. That's the sun and the moon. But as a result, no one knows for sure exactly what this first light is. Now, my imagination about this is captivated by what the early church father Tertullian wrote when he described this original light as a physical manifestation of Christ's glory over all of creation. And the reason I believe that this idea works is because of how light and darkness play out in tension with one another throughout the rest of the story of salvation history, from the beginning of time until the very end of time. Because think about it. In the beginning of time, God revealed the glory of Christ over all of his creation. And then in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rejected the illumination of God's light for how to live their lives, the world was plunged back into darkness. Now the sun and moon still did their job of lighting the day and the night, but the rejection of God and his ways... In the sin of the human heart brought a darkness back over creation. And as a result, from that point on, evil and sin and death reigned over the earth and everyone was subject to them. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter one calls this the domain of darkness. That is the state of this world without the light of Christ. When God's word and his ways are disregarded and ignored and altered and twisted, there is darkness. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we hear about this darkness as a description of what life without God's illuminating light 
is like. In Isaiah chapter 9, the people are described as walking in darkness and dwelling in a land of deep darkness. In the poetry of Psalm 107, the psalmist says that when they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High, they sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. In the wisdom literature of the scriptures, Proverbs describes the way of the wicked as being like a deep darkness where people know not over what they stumble. In the prophetic writings of the scriptures, Isaiah proclaims that because of their rejection of God, the people hoped for light, but beheld darkness. And for brightness, but walked in gloom. He said that they groped like those who had no eyes and stumbled at noon as in the twilight. And maybe the most fulsome and fearsome descriptions of the darkness in this world are found in the the very personal accounts of Job and Lamentations. When the authors of those books describe the great suffering that they had experienced here on earth as being like a darkness that is deep and thick and without any light. In the scriptures, darkness is the repeated description of what life is like after the fall of mankind. And isn't that often what our lives feel like as well? And we don't have to just look to the scriptures to understand this experience of darkness in the world. We can look right outside of our doors and know that this is real. We hear every day of wars in Ukraine and Sudan and other places in the world where hundreds of thousands of people are being slaughtered and entire nations are being destroyed. That is darkness. Last year alone in our country, there were 646 mass shootings where more than 3,000 people were killed or injured. That is darkness. In the past two weeks, there have been stories in the news where people were shot for knocking on someone else's door. For driving into someone else's driveway. For going to retrieve a basketball that had rolled into a neighbor's yard. Just a few weeks ago, in this very neighborhood, a man was killed by the police after he had been shooting at cars that were driving to the local middle school. What is wrong with this world? That kind of stuff can only happen when darkness settles in over the hearts and the minds of people and prevent them from being able to clearly see. And these are extreme examples of that for sure. But all the way down, Our civilization is not very civilized. We don't treat our fellow human beings very humanely as a whole. And even when we restrain our violent impulses towards one another, it is only because of a there but for the grace of God go I reality. Because in our hearts we all think the same types of things. We all think that we are better than other people. And so we elevate ourselves and we minimize everyone else. And that leads to darkness every time. This world is a dark place. 
Left to ourselves, our hearts are dark places. We are a lost and a broken and a confused and a hurting and a sin-sick people. Groping around in the dark for meaning and purpose and significance and identity and beauty and joy and life. But we can't find it. The sun may be shining brightly outside today, but it does not overcome the darkness of this world. And let me take just one second to acknowledge that some of you here may be feeling that kind of darkness in your life. Either because of things that you've done or because of things that have been done to you. Or because of things that your loved ones have done. Or because of something that's been done to those that you love. Please hear me say this. If the darkness of this world ever feels like it's closing in on you. It feels like it's overwhelming. If it ever leads you to feelings of despair. Or of helplessness or of hopelessness. Please hear this. Though this world is often dark, darkness will not get the final word. It does not get the final say in this world, and it need not get the final say in your life. Because the good news of God in Christ Jesus is that just as God illuminated the world with the glory of Christ at the beginning of creation... So has he illuminated the world with the glory of Christ in the beginning of his recreation of all things. And this is the good news of the gospel. That God has not left us alone in the dark. Instead, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son has been given. And when Jesus was born into this world, the Word of God was made flesh. And just as the Word of God had illuminated creation at the beginning of time, so now He has come to shine His light on God's recreation. In John chapter 1, Jesus is described as being the light of men, the true light which enlightens everyone. He is the light which shines in the darkness and scatters the darkness away. He is the light which shines in the darkness, which the darkness cannot overcome. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, we are exhorted to live in this light, to cast off the darkness and to put on the light. Romans chapter 13. To come out of the darkness and to live in or to walk in the light. Ephesians chapter 5. To remain and to abide in the light of Christ. 1 John chapter 2. And at the end of time, when the light of Christ has done its work and fully purified and fully refined this world. When it is fully scattered darkness away to the point where there is no darkness any longer. 
We're told in Revelation chapter 21 that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more need for the sun or the moon to shine on God's new creation because the glory of God will give it light and its lamp will be the Lamb. So just as at the beginning of creation, when the Word of God brought light to bear on the original creation, so it is now, when the Word of God made flesh has brought light into recreation, so it will be at the end of time, when the glory of God in Christ Jesus is the source of light for the new creation. So when Jesus declares that I am the light of the world, he is making a very simple but an infinitely profound statement that he is the and the only original and true and lasting light of this world. And the practical implications of that theological reality will one way or another necessarily impact every aspect of every one of our lives. We see how this is the case in John chapter 9, where Jesus gives us a physical example of this practical application. In this story, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who was born blind from birth. And immediately the disciples begin debating who had sinned in order for this man to experience such literal darkness in his life. And quickly, Jesus reorients their thinking and explains that no one's sin had caused the blindness, but that this man had experienced blindness so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. That's a key statement. (laughs) Because then, having declared himself to be the light of the world, Jesus makes a concoction of spittle and mud and rubs it into the man's eyes and heals the man's sight. Now, this creates a huge stir in the city, primarily among the Pharisees who didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the light of the world. And hence, they didn't believe that he had healed and given sight to the man who was born blind. Because that was something that only God could have done. They rejected the revelation of the glory of God in the world. And they denied the work that God was doing among them right before their very eyes. And in the end of this story, we have a scenario where the man who had been in utter darkness was able to see clearly. And those who thought they had always been able to see clearly are shown to be in utter darkness. And it's all because of their response to Jesus and their inability to see God at work in this world through his life. The man who had been blind proves his sight by recognizing and acknowledging that God was at work bringing light into the darkness in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees, who always thought that they could see things clearly, prove their blindness because they could not see how God was at work in the world through his son. And in verse 39, Jesus summarizes this entire event. And really the entirety of human history when he states, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And that statement is the inevitable impact 
that Jesus, the light of the world, has on every single human life. You either recognize him and the light that he shines as he reveals the glory of God, or you don't. You either see that he is God in the flesh who has come to scatter the darkness of this world away, or you don't. There is no other option. You either truly see, or you are actually blind. The Apostle Paul explains this dynamic in spiritual terms in our New Testament reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Where he says that Satan has veiled the eyes of those who are perishing and blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Those who think they see clearly but don't see Christ are actually blind. Satan has put a veil over their eyes and blinded their minds from the truth. They cannot actually see. But those who know that they need the light of Christ to be able to see anything as it truly is, they are the ones for whom the veil has been lifted. And though they once were blind, now they see. And so church, my question for you this morning is simply this. How's your vision? How's your vision? Are you able to see the glory of Christ revealed over all of creation? Can you see his light shining into even the darkest places of this world? Do you discern his presence at work in every aspect of your life? Even and especially in the most difficult things that you are facing? If you do, then the only proper response is to emulate the man who received his sight in John chapter 9 and fall down before Jesus, the light of the world, and worship him. For bringing you out of darkness and into his glorious light. But if you aren't able to see God like that in the world or in your life, Or if you acknowledge, it's okay. If you have trouble seeing God like that, then there's a couple of steps that you can take. First, you can cry out to God and ask Him to give you eyes to see Him. Ask Him to shine His light brightly into your life. Ask Him to remove the veil that is over your eyes that is keeping you from seeing the glory of Christ Revealed in this world and in your life. And then as you begin to see. Or or as you are seeking and desiring to see more. To see better. To see more clearly. And you can follow the instructions that are given throughout the New Testament. About pursuing this light. Cast off the darkness of your life. And put on the light of Christ. Come out of the darkness that you might be living in and walk in the light of the Lord. Remain and abide in the light of Christ all throughout your day, 
for all of your days. Let Christ's perpetual light shine on you. Let it expose your darkness and scatter your darkness away. It's the only thing that can do that. And if we will do this, then not only will we see the light of the world, but as Christ's light shines in us, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, we actually become the light of the world. So that others may see the work of Christ in us and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. May it be so, for God's glory and for our good. Amen.